The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world viewed through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, host of Just Love. And I'm here with Tom Dobbins, who every week gets us guests who are um, both interesting, informative, so that we can kind of continue the conversation about what's going on in the world. But our perspective is we're not neutral observers. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the tradition of our church, says that certain values are very important that they are based in the gospel, they're based in the nature of the human person. And we say that when we look at what's going on in the world, we have a responsibility to try to make that world a better place. We think that we're not going to perfect the world as we are here. That's for the kingdom of God when it comes about in heaven and when Jesus comes again, whenever that may be. And, you know, I don't mind saying Uh, We know uh, not the day nor the hour when that is. So, um, but, but make no mistake about it. While we need to be humble in realizing we are not going to achieve everything, but we also need to not shirk our responsibility to advance our world further on the arc of justice and of compassion. And so that's why when we look at what's going on in the world, we're not neutral. We say, well, if there's a situation where the dignity of the human person, the sanctity of human life is threatened, well, we as Catholics should be attentive to that and do what we can. Now, oftentimes people will have different solutions to try to better a situation, but that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to try to to better it. And so what we do each week is we look at what's going on in the world and try to say, let's think about it. what need we to do in order to make the world more just and more, you know, compassionate. One of the things that has been at the center of the work of Catholic charities agencies throughout the United States, and quite frankly, throughout the world, is to be present in situations where there is a disaster, where there has been either a natural disaster, such as a hurricane or an earthquake, a flood, those type of disasters, Catholic Charities Agencies are present to help the people who are impacted by those and need some support to recover from those disasters. And sometimes they are tragically man-made, as we had here in New York with the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. And once again, Catholic charities helped to respond, to help individuals and entire communities to recover from those tragedies and disasters. And so we're today going to kind of fulfill a promise that we made uh, when we spoke with Rob Van Tassel, who is the president and CEO of Catholic Charities of Hawaii, oh, a few weeks ago, when we spoke with him about one of the earmarks of Catholic Charities when it comes to disasters is that when the cameras go away and the news headlines are not on page one, but they may be buried in page 45, that Catholic Charities remains there. Because when there's a major disaster, it's not over in two or three weeks. When people's houses are destroyed, when they've lost a loved one, it takes months and years for those things to be dealt with. And, you know, in some ways, one never completely gets over, one never forgets, but people move on, having dealt with the tragedy, to recover. 
And so that sometimes takes years. And Catholic Charities is there. Catholic Charities is there during those, the the immediate days after, but also years down the down the line. And so today on Just Love, we're going to again be speaking with Rob Van Tassel, but we're also going to be, be speaking with Miguel Ceballos, who is one of the residents of Maui and who witnessed the wildfires that took place there a month ago. And he's going to be able to give us, you know, a firsthand uh, sense of what it was like when um, when the fires came and when they were just so so devastating. So I am really, really pleased that uh, Rob Van Tassel, the executive director of Catholic Charities, is joining us again, and that Miguel Ceballos is also joining us today. Both of you gentlemen, thank you for being with us on Just Love. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us, Kevin. Great. And and Rob, we didn't forget, and Tom made sure that we did bring you uh, bring you back. Um, so um, let me, Rob, do you want to bring us a little bit up to date before we kind of ask Miguel to speak to us about his situation or up to you? Sure. Sure. I could go ahead. I'll say a few words, but yeah, let's make sure we give Miguel lots of time here. So uh, Catholic Charities is still very involved. Um, I think one of the more nationally publicly known um, Catholic events has been the uh, uh, the church there. Uh, Maria Lana Keel is just, it's just been a wonderful story and I'll let Miguel tell that. Um, and the school that's associated with that, that Miguel has children in as well. Uh, but Catholic Charities work right now has been with the families, um, continuing to listen to them, understand their needs, really bring them as many ways as we can, dignity of the person. So really practicing our Catholic social teaching there. Dignity shows up often in, in choice. So giving folks choice, uh, that comes to me in the form of gift cards uh, to their favorite uh, grocery stores, getting them money for gas, uh, getting them really good, decent housing. Um, that they could stay in for a period of time. Um, and then just, you know, listening and walking with them. So we've also brought out some of our counseling staff, some of our behavioral health specialists to start working with the families. But, you know, as we know, um, we're really going through Maslow's hierarchy of needs as well. Um, and as we get through the the shelter and the food and the water and now start to look at what are some of the next decisions that need to be made by the community and the family, we just continue to walk with them, listen to them, make sure they have the resources that they need uh, and preserve their dignity along the way. So I think good good opportunity here for Miguel to jump in. Good. Hey, Miguel, we would love to hear you. I think you may have to come off mute, which you just did. Uh, Miguel Ceballos, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And, you know, you can begin your story wherever you would like. We want to give our listeners, kind of a, a firsthand sense of what you experience, what you witness. So, Miguel, thank you for being with us, but feel free to begin wherever you're most comfortable beginning. Well, thank you, Monsignor, for having me here, and, and aloha, and aloha to all the listeners out there. Uh, we're definitely feeling all the love and contributions, uh, definitely in prayer. So we, we definitely ask that that continue on. Uh, just just in everyday life, running into our community, our ohana, our family here, uh, we're, definitely, we're definitely seeing uh, the sparks of God through them. Now, I am originally uh, was born in California, moved out here about nine years ago, but uh, had family on Oahu, have connections. Um, so I really came part of the community really quick here, uh, a lot of good friends and just uh, having to go through something like this with them has been so devastating. Uh, you know, it, it's we're you know we're coming down to to a month. You know, since it's been uh, since that horrible day, and you know, it, unfortunately, it feels for us here at the community like we're leaving it every day. Uh, we wake up, 
with the reality of that something has been lost, not just material, but uh, a part of our community, our heart, our, our family. We call it Ohana here in uh, Lahaina. And it's just been, been really uh, hard to focus on. But having all this help in the communities coming around have just been really, really reassuring that, you know, we that are here are continuing to, you know, help rebuild and our rebirth here in Lahaina. So it's, it's been really difficult. You know, it's unfortunate. You know, when I was working that day when it happened, um, our power was out and I was running uh, our shop. I, I run a gelato shop of all things. And when the power goes out, you know, you got to make sure those generators are turning right on, you know, get those yeah. freezers going. But uh, we were getting reports that the power wasn't going to come Miguel, if I might say, if you don't, you're a milkshake shop. Yes, definitely. <laughs> no, it's so true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, it, you know, it wasn't until, you know, the power's out so that you can't get gas or anything on the west side. And the closest gas station's a good half hour, 45 minutes away. Uh, definitely more with traffic, which definitely was we were dealing with that day. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until one of our neighbors came down. He was knocking the door trying to get uh, gas for a generator for one of our aunties that uh, uses a oxygen machine. And that's when I was like, babe, you know, I need gas. Auntie needs gas. I better go. And uh, the last thing she said was, okay, come back fast. And uh, I got the, I drove out, got gas, came back, and coming around the, the poly, we call it, which is like the, just the, on the mountain, the, for those of you that have been Mali, you, you could drive through the tunnel. And sure enough, right then and there, I, I saw a billow of smoke and, uh, run, you know, tried to get back, but uh, just got caught. I, uh, you know, it, not to, you know, know, not knowing then that it wouldn't been more than 24 hours till I saw my, or even knew where my family was. So, so Miguel, uh, again, to, you know, to help our listeners understand, when you went out to, get gas, I guess, is when you went out, is your family was was still in the house. Yes, yes, they were. And um, as it was getting bigger on the story of my wife's end, is that she was just waiting. She was hoping that I was going to come through and it wasn't going to be as bad as it was. Nobody really knew, um, unless you're really in the thick of it in downtown. And uh, it wasn't until... Later, she realized that, you know what, it's gone a lot closer. The smoke is starting to come into the neighborhood, uh, start packing the kids. And, um, you know, she started getting the car ready and then went back in to grab the kids and, and basically froze. You know, she saw it right then and there. And it wasn't for one of our neighbors coming down and throwing the kids right into the truck, back of the truck and getting her out of there, telling her, hey, wake up, seeing that she was in distress. Um yeah, who knows? You know, it's like off that person definitely. And I, I think Miguel, what you said was, um, it took a whole day for you to kind of re reunite with her. Yeah. So actually, the power was out, so we lost power and communications. And um, as that fire was continued to go on, that started in the afternoon. Um, we were, we were still stuck, uh, you know, separated from each other. I was on the South end of town. She was on the North end and, and, um, I had no way to get to her. And I watched the whole night sleeping in the car, watching this fire, just engulfing our town and, um, not knowing the extent of it. And it wasn't until following morning I was where I was being evacuated from. I was sleeping in the car, um, trying to get through and hit barricade after barricade. And I actually snuck around some service roads and even the barricades, the police were saying, what are you doing here? How'd you get through? And I, I can't go back. You know, the fire's already jumped the, the bypass. And I had to stay there till, till daybreak. And uh, as soon as a little light came out in the, came in the sky, I hiked up the hill and sun hit the town. And I saw the devastation and uh the extent of it so i kept hiking up and i could see a little bit about where my neighborhood was and that's when my felt my heart fall into my gut and uh even then that morning i still did not get any communication with my wife it wasn't until later in the evening that second day 
to where I found her because she got some um, service. She hiked up a hill, got some service, texted me. I'm in the Pili. I'm by the park. I'm in a home. That's all she got to me. So when I got through, uh, I got went straight up there and I kept knocking on doors. And it wasn't until I heard my child, my son's laugh from the middle of the street. Did it, did I run to that house? I knew it was them and ran up to the gate and my wife saw me and fell to her knees. And it wasn't until then, definitely over 24 hours at that time. Wow. That is, uh, was, uh, that is, I can't, but I would say, I just can't imagine the anxiety and the sadness and the fear that you must've felt not knowing and seeing the fire and the, and the, the destruction that was there. Um, it, it, it just, from the way you recount the story, um, it was just such a very uh, difficult moment for you. Oh yes. Unimaginable. Even to this day, you know, we can't, it, we see it, we're in the thick of it and it just feels like someone's going to pinch us and wake us up from this nightmare. It, yeah. It's even, we see photos. It wasn't until two weeks later when we started getting somewhat kind of a service, did we start seeing what the world was seeing? And even then, we couldn't even fathom that that was our home. Wow. Wow. Was the the person who came by in the truck, was that one of your neighbors? Yes. Um, they Actually, you know, we, Lahaina, we call it our Ohana because it's family. It's such a tight-knit community that we, we know everyone. Even if we didn't have a conversation, we're always you know, throwing a shaka or, or waving or a good morning or a hello. You don't do that without, you don't pass anybody without doing that. So when we see people now after this, you know, after all this event, we hug them tighter, even if it was just the auntie at the grocery store, you know, because we're so happy to see them, you know. Um, was, yes. was your house actually destroyed uh yes completely uh it's uh unrecognizable um we're fortunate enough uh to kind of get in and take a look and the amount of heat that destroyed our home we actually had a friend that's a firefighter that walked to the house and he saw he said he's never seen a fire so hot other than a chemical warehouse fire and he said, you are so blessed. He told me, you're so blessed that your family was not in here. They would have not had three minutes wow. to get out. And when you were up on the hill, you didn't know that they were in there or not in there? No, not at all. And even, you know, I think it really, I definitely had hope. But once driving through the town, seeing the people that were in there, faces and then seeing my neighborhood i think that's when it sunk in yeah it, it, it it's um are are you going to be able to rebuild your house or is it too destroyed uh it's too destroyed most of all the homes that have been burned are completely gone um almost to the sense that they've never been there the winds were blowing so hard that as the homes were burning, the ashes were blowing, blown into the ocean. So when you go to these homes, you can't even tell there was any wood in, in them. And that's most of the homes are all here, plantation wooden homes. Yeah. It, it's, um, this may be a little bit too early to ask, but let me ask. I mean, even though you can't rebuild that home, is the neighborhood and the community a place where, where you could rebuild from scratch? As of now, the reports that we're getting, um, it looks like they're going to have to, yes. Um, a lot of the pipes, the sewers have been compromised. They're going to basically have to rewrite yeah. the neighborhood. Um, from what we've, you know, we've done some welfare checks. A lot of our neighbors were elderly. Um, but once they found out that, you know, we want to work and do our best um, to stay in the neighborhood, 
they definitely were very happy with joy. They want to see that, um, especially with all the other neighbors. But unfortunately, some of them just don't have the energy or the capabilities. So they're looking to even leave, which is so sad because they've been such strong pillars in our community. You know, they're, they're Kapuna, as we call them, or, you know, they, they're looked at so uh, strongly in our, in, in our community. They're, you know, they're, our children call them, you know, uncles and aunties. That's how we do it here in Hawaii. You know, it's, we're family, so it's hard to see them leave. Yeah, and and now, I mean, it's just like everything was torn apart. Even, I mean, from what you describe, there, there, some of the houses people are still able to live in in that neighborhood. I, I think I, that's what I heard you say. But other houses like yours, people can't live there. Correct. And the ones that are actually living in the homes in those neighborhoods, uh, especially mine, don't have water, don't have electricity. They don't have anywhere to go. Uh, we've been helping with a lot of the, uh, you know, supply efforts and the distribution logistics. And even even yesterday, we got some solar chargers and lights from Catholic Charities from Rob there. And we went, I went straight into delivering them. And I can't tell you, Rob, that these people were so overjoyed that they could actually just charge their phone, you know, and have a light on. But, you know, it's important to get other stuff there, you know, masks, air purifiers, places we can get stuff to them. Um, you know, they're, they're driving off their land to go get water to bring it back just so they can brush their teeth or, you know, even just throw a bucket of water to shower, you know, or basically take a bath in. Yeah. And I, again, I, I suspect the experience that you're describing is one which is somewhat, you know, common that people don't like to give up their homes, even if even if there's no water, even if there's no electricity. They don't want to move someplace else. They just want to hold tight with a hope and maybe sometimes not a terribly realistic hope that something's going to happen to turn things around. I think that's what I'm hearing you describe. Yes, definitely. Uh, another thing, too, is just, yeah, that more of a protecting of their home as well on top of all that. You know, a lot of people, you know, uh, we have a section in Lahaina Luna, which is at the top of the hill that didn't burn down. But it's, you know, we're still waiting on reports from the EPA to see it's even safe up there. But, you know, there's people are still in shock, you know, that they don't even realize that it might not be safe up there or they just don't want to let go, like you said. Yeah, it's uh, now for people like yourself, um, I, I assume you're living someplace temporarily. Yes, uh, we're actually uh, put up in a hotel, which a lot of people have in uh Thanks to Catholic Charities, they definitely uh, helped get us into a place right away. At the time of that, we were actually sleeping on a lanai, which is like an outside porch of a friend's because he was hosting three other families in his home. And we we're just trying to figure out what we needed to do while helping the community. And uh, I, you know, it's a funny story how I met Rob is that, you know, in distributing supplies that the uh, local grass movement was collecting, I ran up to Father, uh, well, I actually was going to stop at the chapel just to see if, you know, just to touch the door, you know, everything was going crazy and it was very chaotic. And Father Kyriakos, our pastor, Maria Lanaquila, uh, was outside and uh, we were all distraught. And, uh, you know, he uh, he's like, what are you doing? How's it going? What's the family doing? And I'm like, we're, we're good, Father. He's all... Here, I this phone disconnected. Call this guy. Run up the hill as far as you can. You know, get service. Call him back. And uh, it was Rob. It was Rob from Catholic Charities, and that's how he made a connection. All this, I just remember his first things were saying like, "How are you guys doing? How many families? What do they need help?" You know, it was just. And then from that moment, it was just go, go, go. And um, we 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 got families in in places. We or Rob Rob, you know, and. 
just got everything going, you know, and I came back that hill after talking to Rob and father said, did you get a hold of him? He's like, yeah. And he's like, what is he doing? He's like, we're figuring stuff out. <laughs> we're getting, working on getting, you know, information was just everywhere. It was chaotic. We didn't know what to trust, what to, you know, uh, what to believe, especially when you have no communication whatsoever, you know, and all these reports, people in that area up in Apili didn't know the town was gone till 48 hours after. Yeah. You know, I, this, thanks, Miguel. Um, yeah. What I would say is for all the listeners too, that's where our faith comes in. This is where the Catholic church, what Miguel just said, they didn't know who to trust. They didn't know where to go, but where did Miguel run to? He ran to the church and he was greeted there by with love from the pastor and the whole church community. And that's what Catholic Charities represents. This is where the church can rebuild from. This is how the community can rebuild. This is where trust can be placed, is that faith and that love of that community. And yes, the building still stands there, Maria Lanikila, which Miguel probably could tell a whole other story <laughs> about that. But uh, maybe that's for our next visit with uh, Monsignor on his show here. But this is the power of the church. This is where that collective voice, that connection to each other and to God and to our faith and that commonality. Um, this is why, this is what gets me excited. We always talk about our agency as a community of hope. Um, and that's really what we bring. A lot of what we bring was the resources that were needed. But also, I think what we heard from Miguel was what the church brings too is hope. Right, that that place, that first mass, Miguel, that we where we went, that eight o'clock mass a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it was overflowing. I mean, it was just amazing how many people were there. And Miguel, how, I, maybe you could talk a little bit about the folks that were there that you hadn't seen at church in so long. Yes, no, it was. It, you know, one thing we've you know I brought to Rob that we've seen. You know, um, being an active parishioner, um, you know we most of our community has been uh, are elderly and we haven't seen many young families. Um, and that Sunday mass, I was telling Rob that I was like, man, I'm seeing my brothers and sisters that I see on the streets here. You know, it's such a younger crowd there, you know, it was so great to see them, you know, um, there and, and to see, you know, even, you know, we originally that mission church only had an 8 a.m. mass and we had a 1030 after and it was pretty quiet. And I feel like it was just because everybody that knew we only had an 8 a.m. As the Sundays have passed this past Sunday, the 1030 mass was again exploding just as a, that 8 a.m. mass we first saw. So it's definitely bringing a lot more people um, closer. You know, I, I like Maria Lanaquila. It's the only Catholic church that has a Hawaiian name in Hawaii and it means Our Lady of Victory and to see our parish our church there victorious through all this and being such a prominent structure of hope it just signifies that you know our church our family and our parish that's where we begin our new foundation yeah I, I actually Oh, yes. Did I re remember from something in my last conversation with Rob is that the church wasn't damaged by the fire? No, it's just by wind. Um, I actually got lucky enough to get in there about two days after. And I'll tell you, I was with a friend who's uh, um, just not, you know, he, he went to Catholic school, but now he doesn't, you know, doesn't practice faith or anything. And we walked up, and uh, it looked like the church was power washed. You know, we walked up to this statue of, uh, we call her here Mama Mary. You know, we walked up to Mama Mary, and I literally touched, and it there was no ash, nothing whatsoever. And he was, all he could do is literally make a 360 look around. He's all, Miguel, the grass is still green. You know, and it kind of it, it made him step back. I know it definitely did something in him, you know. Um, but I think you know God will uh, 
water that seed when the time's right. And he'll continue to do that with the rest of our community. Hmm. You know, um, I, later I didn't walk around the whole church, but um, Father Father K did. And there's a statue of St. Damien in the back of the church. We have a small little garden. Everything was burnt around St. Damien except the lays around his neck that we put around. You know, a lot of people here, instead of bringing flowers at the foot of uh, the statues, we actually put lays. Mm. And um, that was, that made me choke up when I saw that, you know, and it, it's so important. It makes us realize, you know, you know, Maria Lana Kila, Our Lady of Victory, and then St. Damien, you know, why why he was here, why he put so much time in this community. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful family of Ohana and community here. Well, and, uh, he's know, definitely a, the only, uh, I just have one final question. How's the Javado shop going? <laughs> oh, unfortunately, the uh, the warehouse and the kitchen burned down, but uh, we still have the storefront, and then uh, we're looking to rebuild. We got to keep making that stuff, the simple pleasures in life. So, so Miguel, um, I've been kidding Tom is because I'm saying it's not summer unless you unless you eat ice cream. So I kind yep. of Tom the assignment when he was away on vacation, he had to find a good ice ice cream shop. Hey, Tom, you know, if you want to put in for a business trip to sample Miguel's gelato, I think that would be favorably received. Oh, so, thank you. So, Miguel, you got to let us know when you're back up and running so we can we can maybe do a field trip to taste your gelato. Well, definitely. Yeah, uh, a lot of our list, a lot of the listeners that uh Probably have been on Maui. I've definitely heard of us. It's called Ono Gelato, or Ono actually means delicious oh. in Hawaiian. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So we'd love to well, have you. Miguel, I wouldn't expect anything else from you than delicious <laughs> gelato. So anyway. so um, well, thanks. well, thanks for having us, Mud Senior. You know, I okay. just, there was one question you asked me earlier that I just want to make sure I answered, and that is, What's Catholic Charities Hawaii doing? And I think Miguel hit a lot of that, but it's financial assistance, it's housing assistance. And then again, as listening and we realized, hey, everybody needs a way to charge their cell phones and and have some light. We found these uh, inflatable uh, solar paneled uh, light chargers that have been awesome. So um, we appreciate all the gifts that we've gotten from all around the country so we could help out folks like Miguel. Um, I talked to people from, you know, South Carolina, South Dakota, Florida, New Mexico, Kentucky, all around the country are supporting. And, and as Miguel said at the beginning of his talk, we all feel that love. And just to get a little note uh, in the mail or on our on our website means so much. And we share those with, with the community there. So keep the love coming. We will. And um, you're coming back and with anybody you want. Thanksgiving and Christmas, because we're not going to forget. We want to make sure that um, that we we as just as you are continuing to walk with the people there. We want to make sure that the rest of the country is aware that this hasn't gone away, and that you're still walking with the people who need you to walk with them. And and thank you, Miguel, for the hope that you provide me and our agency here. Right. Okay, Miguel Ceballos and Rob Van Tessel, thank you so much for being with us on Just Love. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Now let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the lens of our Catholic social teaching, the dignity of the person, the importance of work, solidarity, family, participation in civic affairs, um, uh, the environment, and a real extra concern for the poorest among us. Those are the values of our Catholic belief, our Catholic social teaching that we use as the prism to which we look at a variety of of issues that are going on. 
Um, I'm really pleased to have again as our guest, Bill O'Keefe, who is the Executive Vice President for Mission of Catholic Relief Services, and I'm delighted that he is going to be with us. Um, Bill, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Great. I'm uh, delighted. How was your summer? Summer's been going pretty well. I took a little bit of vacation, a little bit of family time. It's been a super busy time at CRS, as you would imagine, but I'm we're hanging in there. So, Bill, I think I'm I'm really pleased that uh, you've agreed to kind of join us on Just Love because, you know, one of our lenses through which we view what's going on in the world is how do things affect the poorest among us? that that is a particular kind of lens that our Catholic faith, our Catholic beliefs bring. And so one of, if not, probably the poorest country in the world is Niger in Africa. And over the summer, they had a coup, I believe, that was there. And Catholic Relief Services is doing a fair amount of work there. So give our listeners just a little bit of, you know, context of our conversation today. Sure. Um, Well, first, what you said is so true. If you're looking at the poorest of the poor, the United Nations ranks countries according to a development index, and Niger is ranked 187 out of 187. So uh, the vulnerable, there's there's over 700,000 internally displaced people there, and I think they fall, sadly, squarely in this category of uh, uh, the most vulnerable and those who, as Catholics, we have an uh, an option for. And so we need so, to... So, Bill, that number is staggering. Say it again for our listeners. 700,000 uh, in, in, internally displaced people, which is more than the population of Baltimore, the city that I now live in. And it's as if you picked up Baltimore and told everybody to walk to Philadelphia. So it, it's really a staggering situation. Niger, just for that, for the audience that may not be familiar with it, is in the interior of West Africa on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. And even before this military takeover, there were 3.3 million people facing food insecurity. So it's uh, already a poor country affected by climate change, a lot of disenfranchised minority groups, and a huge concern uh, uh, for the church. How big a country is it people-wise? So there's uh, 26 million people in Niger. It's a huge country, actually. It's a lot of empty desert space there, but um, but, you know, 26 million, that's that's a, a, a good medium sized American state or a large American state right. for sure. OK, OK. So tell us about the coup. So what happened was um, this is a country that's actually had been on the road to uh, democracy and stability and has been an ally of the United States for a good number of years. And um but like other countries in West Africa, particularly Burkina Faso and Niger, has suffered from uh, an insurgency of uh, Islamic extremists. And that's a very long story coming from the north. But the um, it's been um, the government there has made a lot of pro- had made a lot of progress in addressing that issue and then in um, beginning to kind of tackle these terrible development problems that they have. Um some folk, people in the military, though, were not uh, satisfied with the pace of change, and so they uh, took over the government. And uh, since then, the challenge has been, of course, with borders being closed uh, until very recently, food and other supplies have have um, become much more uh, scarce. Prices have gone up, and um, and there's been sanctions from the neighboring countries and from other countries in the West, which have really, um, of course, like most of these sanctions, really hurt the the most vulnerable people. So that's our real principal concern now is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad political situation, but it's the poorest country in the world. We need to continue to find ways to provide assistance. So, Bill, let's now shift a little bit 
Tell us about the work of Catholic Relief Services. So in Niger, um, we're focusing on a couple of things. Really exciting thing I want to mention, We even in spite of all the instability and the takeover, just in the last week or two, we provided um, a malaria, preventive malaria response to 4.5 million children across the whole country. And it's really the strength of our local partners, our church partners and other partners and their ability to navigate these really difficult situations is a testament to their courage. We're also doing a lot of water and sanitation, providing wells, teaching good hygiene, uh, adult literacy and girls education, and then um, providing shelter to some of those displaced people that I mentioned. The, the most exciting thing to me, at least, that we're doing is supporting the bishops of Niger, as well as Burkina Faso and um, Mali, in something called the Sahel Peace Initiative, to build cohesion between Christian and Muslim communities in, uh, in outlying areas that are vulnerable to, um, to extremism, and really to kind of strengthen those bonds so that those communities can stand up for themselves and also to respond to the to the local needs on the ground. It's been very exciting to be a part of that. So Bill, let me let me this is not a diversion, but it's a little bit of something that I think is important for us for a variety of reasons. Now I think my understanding is you mentioned the some of the Islamic extremists. I do think Christians in Niger are a incredibly small part of the population, aren't they? They are a really small part of the population. And the the uh, I wish Americans could understand, particularly American Catholics, how in a country like Niger, where there are very few Catholics, the church punches so above its weight. And but what I mean by that is provides so much larger a percentage of the social care uh, and the education than their numbers actually uh, actually actually uh, speak, and they're able to kind of play a role in um, in 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 between because they're not a huge force themselves in between different communities to sort of pull them together. So it's it's, it's yeah. a very interesting you, dynamic. You know, Bill, I was gonna. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to draw a little bit of a kind of a, a comparison and kind of call out, um, you know, Pope Francis's trip to Mongolia, which also oh. is a very, very small, which has a very small Christian population. And when he visited that house of mercy, he was pretty clear in saying a couple of things about the charitable work that that goes on. One is that it's not to kind of bring people into the church. It's not to proselytize. It's kind of to show the care, the compassion of the gospel. And I think he said, also said, and it's a sense of, he used the word, which is probably not the word we would use, of fraternity um, Mm -hmm. in working with people of all religions. And it kind of demonstrates kind of the ability of solid to be in uh, of solidarity with people. And when I heard you speak, it just, I, I think that's part of what you were alluding to. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Pope Francis, one of the things he's constantly reminding us is that the people on the peripheries and, and being 187 out of 187 puts you on the periphery. Those are the people who should be the concerns of the church. And I think the Catholics in Niger and the church in Niger are certainly living that out. And I think that that's why CRS is there and why I think American Catholics, why this is so important for you to bring this issue up on this country in, in this in this context. I can assure you there are not a lot of talk shows that are bringing up Niger. And if it's not the church, then, you know, I'm sorry to say it, it's not going to make it. Yeah, it it is. Um, that that's a, that is a, a a challenge. And again, a word of of kind of compliments to you and to Catholic Relief Services because you are the face of the American Church in these places. And 
you know, I, I again, I want to compliment Catholic Relief Services because almost everything in the world has a political and ideological, sometimes a partisan dimension. But I know one of the legacies of Catholic Relief Services is to try to, at all possible, to approach things from a humanitarian point of view, not a political, not a partisan, not an ideological. That doesn't mean that there is intention and you don't get caught up in some of it. But I think that's one of the strengths of Catholic Relief Services. That's great. I mean, I, I personally, I agree. I, I want to tell a quick story about uh, something that happened to me years ago in South Sudan that makes the point, which is I was stuck in a, I happened to be in a, in a, in a village that was tragically bombed by the Sudanese Air Force in 1990 and a whole bunch of people got killed and I was saved. My life was saved actually by Bishop Paridi Taban, who some may know, but um, when, as I was leaving on the airstrip, the little airstrip, a man walked up to me and said, I am so glad that you were here to see this because otherwise no one would ever know. And I think it's that part of that witness to the gospel. So people don't feel invisible so that they, they know that even if it, they feel alone, they're not alone in the place that's the 187th out of 180, 187 out of 187. It's, it's a very important part of solidarity that we're all a part of. So you mentioned some of the, the programs and projects that CRS is involved with. And I know, again, that one of the real missions of Catholic Relief Services is to try to help people to be as self-sufficient as can, that it's not merely helping over and over again without helping people to kind of move forward on their own. I think all of us who kind of do this work realize that that is a very real aspirational goal, which we do wind up helping people for a long period of time. But can you speak of some of the future plans of CRS in Niger? Sure. I mean, obviously, we'll have to see what happens, but our programming is all continuing. And one of the things that we're uh, hoping with enough security to, to continue to grow is a savings and investment loan cooperative program that basically works with communities so that they develop their own savings and then use those savings with support from CRS for income generating activities that allow them to provide for their own families and not have to rely on um, on outside assistance. It helps them to sort of build up an asset base, some a little bit of uh, wealth might not be the right word, but of, of savings that they can rely on and then use to generate more income for their families. So we're really, um, uh, it's something that we do all over the world and that we have been doing in Niger and we uh, intend, you know, security allowing to continue to to grow and expand that effort. From a from a, either a economic or industrial, agricultural, um, I know it's the poorest country in the world, but does it have any industry or any thing? So it has, I mean, there's, there's a, some mining there actually. And this is one of the, one of the, um, one of the big issues around Niger right now is you've got, there's uranium mining, there's uh, um, some other kind of rare earth mineral type things. And some of the great powers, including Russia have been uh, fighting to get control of those. And, and a lot of investment, frankly, from the United States, from France, now from Russia has gone into China has gone into kind of this security first military first approach to addressing and trying to get at some of these resources and what we and the church have been advocating for is getting at the root cause problems of climate change governance disenfranchisement right. there's not a lot of industry um but there is certainly a lot of industrious people doing small scale economic activities and there are some 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 minerals and other um very valuable things. Bill, before I let you go, is there kind of one uh one or two 
additional things that you think our listeners should be aware of when it comes to Niger? Sure. I mean, first I'd say um, it's a country that uh, does have great potential and fantastic people. Climate change is a real driver. And I know um, your audience is looking forward to the Holy Father's kind of upgraded new statement on Laudato Si. And when you read that and hear about it, definitely think about the people of Niger and how they're suffering. And then finally, if you'd like to get involved in um, supporting this work and in advocating for resources to help Niger, uh, by all means, go to crs.org. We have an action center and we'd love to uh, love, love to get more folks involved in fighting global hunger in Niger and fighting climate change and all the other conditions people suffer from. Bill O'Keefe, thank you so much for being with us. The Executive Vice President for Mission and Mobilization of Catholic Relief Services. And Bill, give my best to all of your colleagues. Thanks so much. It's really great to be today. Tom, we'll take a break. Just love, just love God, neighbor and self, and we'll build a more compassionate and just world. We'll be back in a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. You know, as we move into the fall, um, we look at things always through our Catholic social teaching. But as we do, we recognize that in this time of the year, there is a lot of holidays that um, that um, our Jewish sisters and brothers hold, whether it be the New Year, whether it be the Day of Atonement. So let's keep in mind and give a greeting to all of our sisters and brothers who are celebrating whatever religious feast they may be. Thank you for being with us on Just Love. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 